With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Moves forward again. France starting to try and pull, push Morocco back in the pass. has found Griezmann. He's inside the area. Cuts it back inside. Shot is blocked. First time. Second shot. Takes a deflection. Bono's off his line. And it's in for France. The early goal. It's Teo Hernandez. In the fifth minute of this semi-final, Teo Hernandez in space on the left side of the box and he has wheeled it in. Shifts back onto his right foot. Here's Mbappe getting through the traffic, getting a shot away. Back post and that should be it. It's Randall Colomirani who might have just sealed France's passage into the World Cup final. The sub, his first touch since being brought on. He's only been on for a matter of seconds and he has put France 2-0 up. And welcome to another edition of the Global Game. The World Cup final is set in Qatar. It will be France against Argentina after the French success this morning over a gallant, more than that, a very good Morocco, it must be said, 2-0 in that semi-final in Albait. So we've got the final set for France and Argentina in the early hours of Monday morning, Australian Eastern Time. You're with The Global Game. I'm Adam Peacock, and this is Adam Kwasnick joining me today to talk all things football. Quaz, how are you, mate? How did you enjoy uh, this morning's semi-final? Yeah, thanks for having me, Ads. Um, look, both semi-finals have been fantastic. Uh, you know, ha- had goals. Uh, there was a lot of theatre there, and uh, in the end, um, you know, you know, two of the stronger teams uh, on paper uh, have made the World Cup final, and it's a, it's going to be a cracking final. But uh, the semi-finals were were great to watch, and uh, there was plenty to like about both teams this morning. Uh, but the French, I just feel they've got a few gears to go through. They're just yet to hit those gears, and when they do, uh, they're going to be frightening to watch. Yeah, they're they're an intriguing team to watch for mine, France, and and you can break it down a bit further for us, Quaz, that they look. Like they're they're a team made up of just complete bling everywhere. Like across the pitch, even their their centre backs look like Rolls Rolls Royces. You got Mbappe, you got Dembele, like Maseratis. You've got you got these like amazing cars in the garage, and yet they chug along like this old truck and just get the job done. They're hauling kind of big coal or big lots of something out of a quarry, and they just they're workmanlike and they get it done. And then all of a sudden, bang bang. There's a bit of brilliance, and then they get back to being workmanlike. What, what's your take on on how Didier Deschamps is able to get the best out of this collective unit? Oh, I think you're spot on. I think there's a, a garage full of Ferraris, and Didier Deschamps is, is yet to to get the complete uh, performance out of them. There, there's there's been moments this World Cup where you really question, um, you know, uh, what they're doing out there at, at, at any given time. For, for example, against Australia, the first 20 minutes. I felt, you know, we were the better team and then they conceded the goal, the French, and then they kicked into gear and did what they needed to do. Um, I I don't think they're going to have that luxury in a World Cup final against Argentina. They're going to have to be on their game. They're going to have to lift their game. 
Uh, they're going to have to reach gears four and five if they're to win this World Cup, consecutive World Cups. Um, look, there's there's a lot to like about them, uh, but it's all going to come down to the manager and trying to maximise their, 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 their quality and their potential uh, to get the result in this World Cup final. Yeah, it's... Deschamps has been able to, and he was under significant pressure, go back to earlier in the year where they were, their, their Nations League campaign was faltering. And, and once again, it, it, it shows the the falsehood, if you like, of that competition because, yeah, they, they've tagged it as a, a, a standalone competition. You're playing for a trophy, but really they're glorified friendly. So can we read too much of them into them in reference to World Cup form? Probably not out of this, given what France did. Like France looked pedestrian against Denmark, and we made... Denmark looked pedestrian and France ran over the top of us. So the form lines through the Socceroos are there for, for one particular strain. But with Deschamps, he he was a defensive midfielder. And for those listeners who are a bit younger who don't know, didn't see him play, he, he was very much the, the type of player. And Quaz, you would have played like players like this, that you don't really notice them out there, but you notice them when they're not there because they're the glue to the team. And it, it feels like that's how he sets up his team, that they've, They've got a strong base and they work off the back of that with their brilliance. So what can you say about his management capabilities and how he sets up tactically and, and adjusts through the games? Because his subs worked this morning as well beautifully. Yeah, they did. Look, getting back to the garage full of Ferraris, I, I, I honestly believe, you know, the majority of them are in the front third and um, with a, a manager like Deshaun, she mentioned him being defensively minded, um, you know, he, he sort of sets up his team to sort of, um, you know, uh, just wear down teams and then sort of catch them on the break. And, um, you know, there, there's still quality in that back line, but uh, they're, they're sort of not utilising the Ferraris in that front third enough. But, you know, look, they've, they've got the results that they've needed to get. Um, and it's been, you know, this morning was their first clean sheet at this World Cup. So, you know, let's be honest, he's, he's doing something right as a manager, Deschamps, mm. and I, I feel this World Cup final could explode in the sense of they're going to have to be outside their comfort zone, the French, for, for a long period of this game. And if they can weather uh, a storm um, and, and get the ball to those key players in the front third, those key Ferraris, uh, they're, they're going to be, you know, uh, great to watch. And I think it sets up a, a, a final that... Uh, will be, you know, end-to-end exciting and, and, and just what this World Cup needs. Yeah, um, and, and both sides have had that kind of wake-up, even though France had theirs in the group game against Tunisia when they were already through out of the group and they changed their side totally. But obviously Argentina and the, the big rattle-up that they got from um, the Saudi Arabia match first up, which shocked the entire world. What about Morocco, mate? How do you evaluate their World Cup and their performance this morning? Did they... Did they do enough for your liking or was it a, a bit of a letdown? Oh, look, they've had a fantastic World Cup, obviously the first African team to, to make a semi-final uh, on, on the world stage. And uh, there were periods of this morning where they really threw it to the French and, and, and put them under, you know, uh, severe amounts of pressure, but they just couldn't capitalise. I guess, you know, that, that front third was was missing a little bit. You know, there's Zeech there in the middle of the park. He was sort of pulling the strings, but there was no one really to link up up with to create a clear-cut uh, goal-scoring opportunity. And uh, it was telling in the end. Uh, you know, the Mbappe for the second goal, you know, wonderful. He just, you know, carried the ball well into the box and managed to get a, a shot off. And then the, the substitute, uh, Mouani, was there to, to tap it in at the back post. And, and it was game over from there. But, you know, Morocco... 
you know, they threw everything at them. Uh, they've had a wonderful World Cup. Uh, I expect a few players like Ziege to to really uh, become a, a popular figure for, for, for one of the clubs, one of the big clubs possibly in the Premier League if they pick him up in January. Um, you know, I've got nothing but praise for the Moroccan Moroccan national team and, and hopefully it's a thing, a sign, uh, a sign of things to come for the future. I think African teams, the likes of Senegal and Ghana, there's that laid-back approach, whereas Morocco, they're really disciplined, especially without the ball and... You know, they've got a lot of quality there as well. And uh, it's just a shame they fell one game short of a World Cup final. Yeah, with this morning as well, maybe the, not maybe, definitely, Hernandez's goal five minutes in changes the, the dynamic of how it pans out. But Morocco looked pretty good um, against Spain and Portugal playing that really low block and absorbing a lot. This had to change, didn't it? Because for large swathes of this game, they were the ones with the like trying to be the, the protagonist, trying to be the, the, the ones putting the foot down with, with the ball at their feet. But it didn't quite work out from, look, I think France rode their luck a bit, but it was a different Morocco this morning. Yeah, 100%. That they, they, they were chasing the game very, very early on. And when you're in a, in a low block like they set up against, you know, the likes of the Spanish, you can absorb as much and you can, you can weather the storm, but you, you're not in any real panic mode to... To, to, to get a goal, whereas this morning they, they were chasing the game. They had to, you know, get an equaliser and have enough time to then go on with it. Um, and it, it just wasn't to, to be. You, you could argue that the early goal from Hernandez really killed their game plan. But that being said, they still threw numbers forward for periods of the game. And um, I guess if the French, you know, if they reached, you know, their fourth and fifth gear, they, they could have sown, sown the game a lot earlier. But, you know... The Moroccans held strong for, for large periods and it wasn't until the very end where Moani had the tap-in uh, that the game was, you know, put to bed. But uh, fair play to the Moroccans again. Wonderful World Cup. Great for football. Um, let's hope they can re- repeat it in another four years' t- time. Yeah, they've got one more game, of course. They've got the time on a third and fourth playoff. But I, I don't mind the third and fourth playoff this time around because you get to see that. And the Moroccans, I'm sure, they, they get to see their team one more time. There's probably going to be a stack of changes for the game against Croatia. And then the final set up at Lusail on uh, Sunday night out on Monday morning, 2 a.m. Eastern. Yuck. Uh, Argentina taking on France. Uh, we're off to a quick break on the global game. Adam Peacock and Adam Kwasnick with you today. Um and the global game is thanks to Kraken.com, trusted by 9 million crypto customers worldwide. Kraken.com, broadcast sponsor of SEN's coverage of the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022. We're going to get Quaz's takes take on uh, yeah the large bin fire that is this decision to take uh, the A-League's grand final to Sydney for the next three seasons. Back in a moment on the global game. Yeah, welcome back to the global game. Time now to uh, turn the focus to the domestic game. And unfortunately, we'd love to be sitting here talking about, oh, who do you reckon is going to jump out this weekend or the next three months and put themselves in the Socceroos frame or the under-23s frame? But no, we're talking about the decision uh, from the APL and the APL board earlier this week to sell the grand finals for the next three seasons, both men's and women's, to the New South Wales government. Uh, Adam Kwasnick, we haven't spoken to you on the global game since this all broke. Everyone has a, a different take and a different kind of slant on things. What's your overall take on the developments of this week? Yeah, Ads, I think it's a, it's a massive mess, that's, that's for sure. Look, you know, in terms of the APL uh, making this decision, I, I get the concept. You, we've seen it in the NRL, two state governments... 
uh, in a bidding war to host the grand final. Um, so, you know, I, I get it and there's money to be made there. But there's two things for me um, as to why we shouldn't go down that path. The first thing is I don't think we're ready. I don't think the game is established enough in this country uh, to, to go down that path of and, you know, create somewhat of a bidding war. I don't th even think there was a bidding war this time around. It was just the New South Wales government willing to throw money uh, at the game. And the second thing is, from a player's perspective, there are parts of the season, especially at the business end of the season, where, you know, you, you start looking at the table and you start thinking finals football and you start thinking uh, of hosting a grand final, um, you know, and being able to play in front of family and friends. It wouldn't be on the players' mind right now, the fact that we're so early into this season, but somewhere down the path, they will definitely be thinking that and taking that away from them moving forward. I think it, you know, it sort of uh, waters down that concept. We've got, you know, winning the league as, as you know, a fantastic uh, effort, but hosting a grand final um, in front of family and friends is, is something, you know, on the players' mind, especially at that business end of the season, and taking that away from them. Um, I think is detrimental to the game in general. Yeah, Quaz, you played in a grand final where it was on a neutral ground. They did move it in 2008 to Sydney, we remember, and it was Newcastle Central Coast. Um, so moved away from either of those two home games. I, I do faintly remember a bit of a brouhaha about that. It was like people up the coast thought, hang on a minute, well, we've, we've earned the right up here to to host and we're having to go to the big smoke to get everyone down. In the end, it turned out all right because everyone got down there and, and, you know, that F3 was heavily utilised that afternoon. But even then there was a hint of, oh, this this is not quite right. And I'm glad a couple of years ago that Newcastle, when they won the rights to host the grand final, they didn't jump again and go, oh, let's hold it in Sydney. It was Newcastle victory. It turned out to be a great night up there in, in New End. I know you're probably not going to sit here and give the Jets too much credit about anything in life, but it, it, it seems like they've just totally misread everyone's appreciation from players to managers to especially fans that this idea didn't need fixing. It it just needed to be left alone because it is actually one of the, the, the silently great things about the game. Yeah, totally agree. And, and, and let's not forget, it doesn't... This uh, concept of, you know, being able to host a grand final due to the season, the great season that you may have, um, it's been going on beyond, uh, or sorry, before before the A-League days. It was, you know, the old NSL days as mm. well. Um, when, you, when you get back to 08, look, I, I don't think Central Coast Stadium was... Uh, you know, it didn't have that uh, that attraction of ha holding a, a whole lot of people, and it still doesn't to this day. Uh, but you know, when you far, you know got to Newcastle hosting it, thank God they did. It's, it's a great stadium up there, McDonald Jones, and um, you know they earned the right. And yeah, you're right. It was a fantastic night up there uh, for for all all of football. Um, yeah, I I totally agree in the sense of they they should just leave it as is. I get. They were trying to, you know, capitalise on making a bit of money. But what happened to the money? And, and I ask you this, Ads, you know, off the back of the World Cup, qualifying for the round of 16, surely surely the game um, sort of, uh, you know, got a bit of money to, to, to making it that far. Uh, if that is the case, I, I don't understand why 10 million over three years, why 
it was such a, a big push to, to get this deal over the line if you've already made a significant amount of money off the back of a Socceroos World Cup campaign. Yeah, well, here's the thing, and, and it's a fair point you raised because not everyone in the game is totally across the machinations of how who, who owns what and who's across what. So Football Australia um, has run off into the sunset. It, that, think of it this way. They're, they're like the empty nesters now. The, the kids have moved out of home, the kids being the clubs, so they can go and do what they want where the empty nesters now have gone, okay, well, what are we going to do with our time? Okay, well, we're going to commercially um, spin things in the right way, which they've been able to do, especially off the back of the Socceroos and the the prospect of hosting a Women's World Cup. They're, they're helping out with the Women's World Cup organisation. They're going to look after the grassroots, do all that. And there's a lot of work that needs to be done there. It's certainly not a perfect picture in that regard, whereas the clubs have gone off and gone, we want control of our own destiny when it comes to this. We, they don't get to touch anything that's won out of a World Cup, but they get to touch whatever's come through Silver Lake and $140 million there with the, the private equity investment. They get to generate their own revenues through sponsorship, which this is from the New South Wales government, through broadcast revenue, all of that. And I think they've got to a point and gone, this is actually really hard living out of home. This is actually not working out the way that we thought. And commercially, they've got blindsided or the, there's a big blind spot because commercially they need the money, but they've essentially forgotten about not forgotten about the fans because they knew that this was going to have backlash, but they haven't realised what kind of cluster, you know what, that they're going to create with that blind spot. So, I, mate, I don't know how, like you're up at a school, you're, you're helping out with kids and everything. Is this resonating with, with people in like who just love kicking a ball in their spare time um, this week or it hasn't really touched touched that nerve yet? It's mainly with the fans and the clubs. Yeah, I, I don't think, obviously, from, a, you know, the, the students that we have up at the college, it, it hasn't really, you know, hit them. Um, but, yeah, the, the, the fans up here on the Central Coast, they're, they're in uproar, even though, you know, what's happened in the past in the 08, um, you know, it doesn't necessarily affect them. They're, I guess the way it does affect them is if, for argument's sake, Melbourne got the grand final for the next three years, they would have to travel in a state, there'd be mm. more money... Uh, that they'd have to, you know, outlay to, to get to the game. Whereas in 08, it was just a, a train ride down to Sydney, which, you know, fans accepted and we just got on with it. Um, but, yeah, the, the fans right across the nation are in uproar. It, it You know, we talk about walkouts um, at the 20-minute mark, what have you. For me, what would hurt even more if you just don't turn up? Mm. If you feel that passionate about it, which I, I think the majority of us do, don't turn up at all and see how that... Uh, sort of reflects uh, to the people at, at the APL. Um, it's going to be interesting at, at the 20-minute 20 uh, mark of majority of the games. And, you know, there's some big games this weekend. So it, it could be, uh, you know, a, a massive statement made. But uh, for me, it would be even more powerful if you just didn't turn up at all. Yeah, that, that sounds like it's definitely going to happen um, with the Mariners fans. We're, we're led to believe that the Cove, I think, with Sydney, this is a rapidly evolving thing. We're here on a, a Thursday morning recording the show. So if you're listening to the podcast, it, it might have changed, or on the radio, it might have changed by the time you listen to this. Melbourne Derby, it's going to, uh, it, they're going to walk out after 20 minutes, the, the active fans. Um, the Cove apparently are just going to, Stay silent for the first bit and then get into it, and but stay. Uh, I've got one here from the Yellow Fever who've released something on uh, Thursday morning saying after 20 minutes, we're actually going to go and sit with the away fans, the Adelaide fans, who are going to make the long, long journey over there as a show of solidarity for fans who actually put in and travel a long way uh, to watch their team play. So all that, the, all those Yellow Fever crew, you know, the ones that take their shirt off in the 80th minute or whatever it is or towards the end of the game if things are going well, 
they'll go and sit with the away fans. So, yeah, everyone's reacting to it differently. What about the Mariners, mate? There was a statement released by Richard Peel yesterday, who's the new owner and chairman, and he's he's trying his best to to, to push that club forward. It, it had a hint of, like, there was a statement, there was a bit of it that said, oh, if we didn't comply, there was funding in danger for us out of the APL, which sounds like a big, big call. Um, what do you make of these chairmen who've come out and basically voted for it, but have said, essentially, I've voted for it under duress? Yeah, under duress. That, that's it. That's the way I see it. I think the, the Richard Peel statement came across as he had no choice. Um, and when it comes to funding, in particular with the, the smaller clubs in the league, like the Central Coast Mariners, uh, funding is, uh, uh, you know, at the forefront uh, at every opportunity. I think, uh, you know, the Mariners obviously survive off the back of the money uh, given given from the league. And um, obviously they make their money elsewhere through through player transfers and what have you. So it came across to me like Richard Peel, albeit new to the situation, um, his hands were somewhat tied and uh, he had no choice. But... Um, as for the likes of Melbourne City and Sydney FC, you know, the, the re- reaction could have been a little bit different. Um, but, you know, the, the power of fans this weekend, I, I think, is going to be extremely telling. Um, you know, fans coming together in solidarity over, over the ditch at Wellington, fantastic. Um, you know, the Melbourne derby, I, I think the atmosphere that the fans create there, um, it's, it's going to fall, you know, uh, drastically low if they're, if they're to walk out after 20 minutes, which is... To some extent, I think it will affect the players, uh, knowing what, what's happened and, and, and where the game's headed. Um, I've got a yarn out today on, on Code Sports about the makeup of the, the APL board, and it's, it is boring as batshit um, talking about boards and governance because it's not talking about what we want to be talking about, which is things like Leo Messi running 50 metres with the ball to set up one of the greatest goals in, in World Cup semi-final history. But it's, it's important in this regard. Um, Quaz, did you know that the... All the clubs don't have a vote on the board. There's there's four clubs that definitely do. City, Victory, Wanderers, Sydney FC. And then there's a fifth club representative, which at the moment is Chris Fong from Brisbane, which is meant to be the kind of representative for the rest of the clubs. Is that fair? Should every club have a say on the board? Oh, most definitely. Oh, let, let's go back a little bit and get back to the beginning. If you do things properly from the beginning there's potential there that you won't have this catastrophe that's unfolded. And and when I say do things right from the beginning, when you when you create this APL board, everyone from every club should have a say. Um, I, I'm, I'm a big believer in, you know, uh, less is more, but the, the clubs, all 12 of them, should have a say uh, when it comes to massive decisions like that. And it wasn't done properly from the beginning. You mentioned the four clubs, obviously the fifth being Brisbane Moor, having some sort of a say. Um, but the fact that not all clubs are represented is really, really disappointing. And moving forward, probably need some sort of fan represent, representation as well. But, uh, you know, th- there's a lot to, to, to get through before before we get to that. But, you know, a fundamental would be to have all uh, 12 clubs represented to some capacity. Um, and that could get the ball uh, moving forward in, in a positive direction. I'm led to believe the reason why they don't is because the... It, it makes the democratic process too sluggish because there's trying to get a consensus, which I can see. But then with, with your fans one, it, it's sparked a little idea in my head that you, you're probably never going to have a fan representation on the board because there's too much commercial inconfidence detail 
um, that then if it gets out, it, it compromises their next negotiation, if you like. But I would like to see an advisory board set up so that they can go with a big decision like this to an advisory board, which has fan representation, which has player representation, and go, what do you reckon of this? And then they go, you serious? You're going to do what? Or, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. I mean, it, I'm, it, Quaz, I think you're the same. I'm no expert when it comes to boardroom matters and, and how it's structured, but I'd like to think I've got a pretty clear idea about common sense and it feels like common sense has been left way behind in this whole thing because anyone who remembers 2015 and those fan walkouts surely <laughs> surely can really appreciate what we're going through again here. Yeah, that hurt in 2015 and I think it's going to hurt again in 2022, but I think you're spot on, Ads. You know, that advisory board and having, you know, fan representation, uh, player representation just to get a better feel of, of what people are after for our game over here. I think it's 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 crucial moving forward. Um, you're right, I've got no idea about what happens in a boardroom <laughs> and I don't really want to have any idea, to be honest. Um, you know, we, we, we should be talking purely about what happens out in the pitch, uh, but we're not. Uh, we're in a sticky situation and I think things need to change uh, if things are to, to have a positive effect in the uh, for the game in this country moving forward. I just went back to when you were playing. Did you ever have a pop at an owner or an executive for decisions that were made in a boardroom or do you kind of just stay out of it? And most players do. No, there, there was some uh, interesting uh, conversations between uh, players, uh, directors, board members, etc. But I was never one to pipe up in that, uh, in that area. That was pretty much left to the senior players, uh, Noel Spencer, John Hutchinson, uh, two players that come to mind. Um, and it wasn't done in a sense of uh, nastiness. It was more done in a sense of, you know, what's best for everyone, what's best for the players. Um, and, it, and, and it was done in, in a professional manner. But uh, I never had too much of a say. Um, I, you know, again, you know, boardrooms, directors, all these guys, um, I, with all respect, they're irrelevant to players in this day and age. Mm. Um, and that definitely was the case for me so you, uh, back in the day. So you'd rather kick a ball against a wall instead of butt your head against one? Yeah, <laughs> most definitely. I, you know, like you, you care for the game, obviously, and, and those board members and directors make some big, big decisions. But, you know, you, you've got senior players uh, helping with that or should be helping with that. Uh, and obviously you've got the P, PFA and if you, you were to create a, a, you know, sort of a fans association... They're the types of people that you want to have, you know, sort of working with the, the, the directors. And, um, yeah, that definitely wasn't my forte. Good take. Uh, interesting perspective there from Adam Kwasnick. And uh, a reminder, this is a rapidly evolving space. Um, Thursday, owners meet, scheduled meeting in Melbourne. It'll be interesting to see the reaction given to Anthony DiPietro, who stepped down from the board, but he's we're led to believe he's going to attend this uh, this meeting of all the owners scheduled. They had the extraordinary meeting on Tuesday. Fan groups have been offered the chance to speak to the APL board. I understand last night uh, City fans and uh, Sydney FC fans had a chance to speak to board members of the APL to discuss the process. We're waiting on exactly what the fallout from that is. But it goes on and on and on. And uh, the end is not in sight with this. And uh, it'll be fascinating to see what happens on the weekend. We're off to a quick break. We will speak about the weekend, the football coming up, but some hot topics and other discussions after the break on the global game. Yeah, welcome back to the global game. Adam Peacock and Adam Kwasnick with you today at Global Game SEN. Um, yeah, let us know on Twitter what you think of the show. It's on the podcast, obviously, and on an SEN radio 
on a Thursday evening. Thanks for listening. And today's hot topic now, thanks to Guzman E. Gomez, fast food that athletes say yes to. And, cause you're an athlete. So give us your thoughts on this. Does Lionel Messi need to win the World Cup to be confirmed as the greatest ever? Or is he there anyway? Or do you still have Pelé, Maradona, even Ronaldo above him if they don't win against France? Look, Ed, this is a, a really tricky question. I, I'm going to say to to be uh, on par with the likes of Maradona and Pele, I, th- I think he needs to win a, a World Cup for his country. I think he, he, he's done everything else in the game. Um, he's won 40-odd trophies for, for all the teams that he's, he's represented, which has included, you know, 10 La Ligas, uh, seven Spanish League, League Cups, four Champions Leagues, French League. The list goes on and on and on. He's won a Copa America with Argentina, but he's yet to win the World Cup. And that's that's the, the greatest show on, uh, show on earth is a World Cup final. And, um, you know, Maradona and Pelé both managed to, to, to win uh, one at least. Um, and he's yet to do so. So this World Cup final on Monday morning, uh, you know, is set up to be a cracker and it's set up to be Lionel Messi's World Cup. And, and if that is the case... Uh, there's a huge argument for him to be, you know, the greatest player to ever live. Um, and I hope for his sake that it definitely does happen. I find trying to line it all up a fascinating process because if you go back with Maradona, obviously what he did with Argentina in 86 was nothing short of extraordinary. And this was in the days when he was getting the living you-know-what kicked out of him every game. Um, but his club career was not a flash in the pan, but it wasn't as sustained in terms of success like Leo, Leo Messi or Cristiano Ronaldo. He had that period in Napoli and and the like. But um, but Pele, so he did what he did with Brazil, but he spent his entire career outside of Europe. Now, put Pele in the modern day, I reckon you, all the Euro snobs go, oh, well, he hasn't done it over here, so is he really that good? But at the but he's still revered now these days as as what he is because what he he did for Brazil it's a it's interesting how history kind of morphs and and moves away from you know international football but now international football is really important for Leo Messi. Yeah, fair point, Ads. I think you know obviously different eras those players have sort of have sort of come in and been a big part of of the game and um, you know for me I, I guess the. The biggest part for any player is representing your country, and 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 for for Maradona and Pele to obviously um, you know lift the biggest trophy um, in in the game, being the World Cup. Um, I think that goes a long way to to uh, you know st- you know stating your claim to being you know the greatest ever player. And um, as as we've mentioned, both have done so. Um, they they probably haven't had uh, you know the the, the club form that uh, Leo Messi and, and, and Cristiano Ronaldo have had. Um, but, you know, to represent your country and do the business for your country, which is win trophies, uh, both have done so. So for me, they're, they're regarded as the greatest ever players. And, and, and let's be honest, you know, Messi and Ronaldo aren't far behind. But I think to, to cut to the chase, if, if Messi was to win a World Cup for his country, Argentina, I think he'll go down as the greatest player that the game has ever seen. And, and it'll um, be up to... You know the, the the players like Mbappe and the, the young players of the future to try and surpass that. But for that to happen, they have to do both. You have to do it all for your club, um, and you have to do it all for your country. And for me, uh, Leo Messi is very close to, to doing both. Okay, here's a giant hypothetical to round out this discussion, cause for you, 
um, and, and stick with me here because there's some wild things happening. Yeah, it's a Thursday evening. Uh, you've got a spare spot in your five-a-side team there at Tugra, and you've also got a time machine. And you can go and pick up Ronaldo at their peak, Pele at their peak, at his peak, Maradona at his peak, or Messi at his peak. Who are you going to collect to, to fill that spare spot for uh, Tugra Thursday night action? Wow. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm going to say... Because we're at Tugra and it's small-sided and the fact that Maradona had to deal with getting the, the crap kicked out of him on a regular basis, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to tip, tip Diego. I, I'd love to have Diego in my team. You think about tight spaces. You think about the fact that he's willing to cop one, two or ten hits in a game. I'm going to take uh, Diego Maradona. Are you going to take him down to the beer garden after uh, <laughs> after it as well down at Terrigal? Uh <laughs> Well, you'd have a good night out, I can tell you that much. Um, yeah, it'd be fantastic to see him out there. But, yeah, you, you mentioned those players. I mean, Leo Messi would... You, we, we speak about, you know, um, the game sort of changing to, to, to help a Leo Messi. Let's be honest, like, he, I think he's the type of player that would have rode a lot of challenges back in the day just as much as what Maradona did. Um, you know, you, you could argue that he's a lot more protected now and it's allowed him to do so much more in the game. But... Uh, you know, uh, that being said, he, he's still got a massive target on his back and he's still, you know, managed to do what he's done. I think it's a fantastic achievement. I just think the one thing missing in his trophy captain is a World Cup. Yeah, I'm, I'm inclined to think with along those lines as well with having Maradona for the fiver side. I reckon. Alex, what, what about yourself? Uh, I'd take Messi. I'd take Messi. I'd take Messi. Okay. Yeah, fair Smaller, enough. Smaller, tighter spaces, tighter control. I don't think anyone would be able to get the ball off him. Yeah, true, true. Either or way, I, I'm not entirely sure you'd fail either. Either way, if you had a, any of those four. Hey, just back to the the now, and that was the uh, the big issue, by the way. Thanks to Guzman e. Gomez, home of clean, healthy burritos, bowls that athletes say yes to. Diego would definitely get into a Guzman e. Gomez after uh, after playing a bit of five aside at Tugra. Tugra. Um, Linel Scaloni, the uh, the manager of Argentina. Uh, what are you made of him, Quaz, and his ability to adjust? tactical and uh, and personnel matters throughout the tournament? I think he's done a remarkable job. And, and, and one of the big reasons why I say that, Ads, is he's essentially uh, defending with 10 men. And I say that with all respect to Leo Messi, but if you watch him off the ball, he gets back into a block, so to speak, but he's, he, he's, just, he's just a body there. He, he mm. does not defend. So the fact that Scaloni has sort of accommodated that um, and allowed or, or got the rest of the playing squad, the rest of the 10 players that are on the pitch to buy into let Leo do Leo, Leo's thing with, with, um, with the ball, but mm. without it, um, just you guys have got to pick up the scraps and do his dirty work, I think it is a fantastic achievement. Off the back of keeping three uh, clean sheets as well, um, it goes to show he's got total buy-in off his playing squad. They're working ever so hard. To, to sort of, you know, keep things really tight at the back, um, which has allowed uh, Lionel Messi to do, to do his thing uh, once they grab the ball. And uh, I'll put it all down to, to uh, Scaloni and his man management of players and, and, and getting every last drop out of his players. And he's did that uh, with, with one final hurdle to go. Yeah, you look at the age profile of those Argentinian players as well. So they're you know, a lot between 22 and 28. And you, you go back, so... 
when Leo Messi, Leo Messi was what scoring ninety goals a season for Barcelona, which still makes me laugh. Uh, what ten years ago or whatever it was, those kids, uh, those players, are right in the formative years of like working out what football really is and who their heroes are, and now they get the chance to to carry him, and or Messi can carry them, and he and those players can carry Messi. So it's a it's a pretty strong bond that that Scaloni's been able to kind of um, cultivate inside that Argentinian dressing room. Yeah, no question. You've you got to put it down to man management. There'd be so much uh, conversation amongst amongst uh, Scaloni and his players and the coaching staff in general to, to sort of come together. And, uh, you know, you, you mentioned that period where, you know, Messi was scoring, you know, close to 100 goals for his club. And, and those players, or those players that he's playing alongside now, um, they, they were watching that unfold, and they were in the, you know, the the, the big stages of their development. Um, and now they've all come together, and they're one game away from lifting a World Cup. Um, it's just fantastic for Scaloni and, and Argentinian football in, in general. We're going to discuss the uh, the A League men's coming up this weekend after the break on the global game. But as, before we do get there, uh, we'll get an odds update. Thanks to Tom Haylock. Uh, thanks to Betfair. Find better odds on the World Cup at Betfair. Gamble responsibly. Call one eight hundred eight five eight. Eight five eight. Yeah, thanks, Adam. We are at the pointy end of the FIFA World Cup and we've got two matches to go. We've got the third place payoff between Croatia and Morocco. Croatia go into that match at $2.38. The draw is at $3.60. Morocco, $3.25. If you've got an edge, you can find a better way to bet on betfair.com.au. Obviously, it's all about the World Cup final. Argentina versus France. It all comes down to this. I'll tell you what, the market is very open, uh, Adam. It's uh, Argentina, $2.98. You can load them at $3. The draw is at $3.10. And France go in as slight favourites at $2.88. You can lay France at $2.90. You can lay Argentina at $3 or lay the draw at $3.15. Interested to know your thoughts on who wins. It's shaping up to be an absolute epic battle between Argentina and France. Don't forget to head over to betfair.com.au forward slash hub for all your information from Stats Insider heading into the final and betfair.com.au for all things betting. That update, thanks to Betfair. Don't settle for the odds given. Find better odds on the World Cup at Betfair. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. Off to a break. Discuss the A-League men's right after this. Sofian Bouffal passes to his left for Unahi, who's been busy early on. Now Masraoui back inside to Unahi, has space to run into. Top of the box, Unahi with a shot, saved by Lloris. Ball still alive. A corner from the left side of the field. Out swinging to the front post, headed on, and it's across the goal line and past the face of goal and out the back. Yeah, welcome back to the global game. And uh, and yeah, though were today's great saves for Schnitz, the best hands in the Schnitzel business, Schnitz handcrafted Schnitzel. Now we're going to have a little look at the Newcastle Jets and Brisbane Roar, uh, which comes our way tomorrow evening. Yes, there is actually football being played in the A-League men's uh, this weekend after the week that we've had. And uh, unfortunate news was for Brisbane Roar, and this was... On the on the go, I heard the rumour over at the World Cup that Charlie Austin um, wanted to go back to England for, for family reasons. I understand he's been linked with Swindon Town, who's owned by an Australian, if I'm not mistaken. But, uh, yeah, what do you make of this, mate? How much of a blow is it for Brisbane Raw to, to lose their uh, leading man up front? 
Yeah, I think uh, Toulouse Austin is a, is a big character in the change room, and he's a you know he's a big player when it comes out to being on the pitch, and uh, it's sad to see him go. Obviously, he's done it first and foremost for for family reasons. Um, I think for Warren Moon and the playing squad, it's going to be a big loss, but there may may be an opportunity one either for a youngster or two, um, you know, for, for for Warren Moon to go to the January transfer window and, and someone uh, bring someone in of his uh, similar quality, but. Uh, it is a big blow for, for Brisbane Raw moving forward, and let's hope it doesn't affect them too much. Yeah, hopefully not. Um, just on the Jets quickly, um, what, do, what do you make of them? Where are they at at the moment, uh, Quaz? Yeah, look, there's a lot to like about Newcastle. I was going through their squad this morning. You, you know, you've got some you know, very, very good players there, and, and on the right age uh, bracket as well, Mikkel Tartse, 25, Thurgate, 22, Natter, 20, Steins, 24. Look, if... If Newcastle can hang on to those players um, and they can continue the type of football that we've we've seen them play in the past, and in particular what we saw of them uh, at the weekend, um, you know, there's there's you know definitely an opportunity to play finals football and obviously go a bit further uh, in finals uh, in years to come. So there's a lot to like about the Newcastle Jets, as is there for for Brisbane Roar as well. Don't forget the A League Women's this weekend. No games on Friday. We've got a, a whole heap with Dub Zone on uh, on Saturday afternoon, and um, the rest of the A League Men's as well, which we'll discuss in greater detail t- on tomorrow's show. Hey, just one back to the the World Cup before we um, close the show, course. Um, at World Cup, I should say the uh, the grand final decision. What about the alternative of maybe instead of having the grand final, maybe doing a magic round in Sydney in the third week of January during the school holidays, summer sun, everyone's having a good time, play the games all through Sydney. What do you reckon, mate? Is that an idea or you wouldn't like to see that? A hundred percent ads. I, I saw your tweet, um, I think it was only yesterday, and you putting it out there. I, I think it's add to uh, add to our game, our great game, and, and you know bring more people uh, on board. I think if you have a magic round, um, you know, bring all the clubs together, one venue over the course of, you know, two or three days. Fantastic concept. We've seen it done with the NRL. Um, I think it needs to be done and it's going to sort of offset this pain that we've sort of been going through over the last uh, week or so. We did once at Fox. Um, I remember Fox organised Big Wednesday and it happened once. Did you? Were you playing back then? And, and it was every single game. There was, there was five games in one day back to back. Um, it was a long old day in at Fox in the in the green room with Bosnich and Zelic. Let me tell you that for free, but um, it was good fun. But we, did you play that day? Can you remember? Uh, to 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 be viewing our game, you mentioned being in the green room with the likes of Bosnich and Slater and what have you. That's <laughs> one thing. But uh, to get the stadium full and 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 see the talent on show all at one venue across two or three days, uh, what better better way the, to to promote the game? Yeah, uh, we'll, we'll see where all that lands with uh, the, the grand final. Just a quick one, expansion as well. There's murmurs going around that they want 13th and 14th uh, sides in the A-League men's. Auckland and Canberra, apparently the, the two favourite options. Would you go there or would you go second teams in places like Brisbane, Adelaide, Perth? Look, to be honest, Ads, I'm not for it and I'm not for it right now. I think... Um, you know we've got we've got a lot of issues in our game that we need to get right, and I think just expanding the league uh, could water it down even further. We've had expansion in the past: Gold Coast, North Queensland, Fury. It hasn't worked. Uh, can it work in the future? Absolutely, just not right now. Quaz, thank you for your time, mate, on the Global Game. I think you're back uh, tomorrow to join us again. So look forward to that, mate. Have a good day. Thanks for having me, mate. Cheers.
Adam Kosnick joining me, Adam Peacock on the Global Game. Don't forget to hit up our Twitter handle at Global Game S-E-N. And we'll be back tomorrow for some more football chat. Have a good one.